When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. How to invest for retirement at age 50. This is a question that shows up all the time, mostly because people got a late start or their initial plans aren't panning out and they've got to make up for lost time. Well, if that's your situation, I'm going to show you how to do it. And it ain't got nothing to do with saving money. You ready? Let's go. Welcome to the all-new Epic Real Estate Investing Show, the longest-running real estate investing podcast on the interwebs, your source for housing market updates, creative investing strategies, and everything else you need to retire early. Some audio may be pulled from our weekly videos and may require visual support. To get the full premium experience, check out Epic Real Estate's YouTube channel, epicrei.tv. If you want to make money in real estate, Sit tight and stay tuned. If you want to go far, share this with a friend. If you want to go fast, go to reiace.com. Here's Matt. All right, so by the time we're done here, you'll have some easy-to-follow steps, not to mention some secret tips in helping you create a comfortable retirement, even if you're 50 years old and you're just getting started. First thing is, I want you to know that you're not alone. I mean, mention the word retirement, and many Americans, they break into a cold sweat or or laugh as though you've made some sort of joke. You know, retirement in the comfortable sense may be a distant goal for many. In fact, it sadly is. You know, according to a new survey from GoBankingRates.com, 42% of Americans will retire broke, meaning they have $10,000 or less saved for their retirement. And per the Department of Health and Human Services, 95% of today's 65-year-olds will not be able to retire without some sort of financial assistance, you know, whether that be the church, the family, or state. So if you're in either of these groups, don't fret. You've got two options. I'm going to give you the basic traditional approach first so that you know that I'm informed and I'm aware of everything your financial planner may have told and is likely telling you. This way, when I share with you my alternative approach, you may find it more sane than insane and actually consider it. So your typical financial planner, they're gonna lead with this. Start saving right away. So if you're 50 and hope to retire around the age of 65, that means you have a solid 15 years to build a retirement nest egg. So they're gonna say something around the concept of saving. Next, they're gonna start with their actual list. Refine your budget. Set up automatic savings. First, to to free up cash, review your budget, and eliminate any excesses. Food, for example is one area where many people overspend. So making a meal plan could save over $100 per month on discarded or unused items. Next, calculate a realistic savings goal and how much you can save automatically on a regular basis. And if that's overwhelming, then focus on making just small changes over time, but automate it through your internet banking. Now two, they're gonna tell you to pay down your consumer debt. Pay it down as quickly as you can to free up more cash to save. And if you have a mortgage, creating a plan to pay it off by the time you retire, that's a good strategy for most people. And a simple plan to enact right away 
is instead of paying 100% of your mortgage payment once per month, pay 50% of your mortgage payment every two weeks. This right here will amount to an extra month's payment per year. And based on how interest and your amortization schedule work, this very small move can cut several years off a traditional 30-year mortgage. Then for number three, they might suggest something like stay invested. If you have a non-retirement investment portfolio, or if you're self-employed and administer your own retirement fund, be sure to set up automatic investments so you can take advantage of dollar cost averaging. And then diversify and limit your risk so that you're not tempted to cash out when the market drops. You know, jumping in and out of the market can cause huge setbacks in your plan. And if you are already starting late, you can't afford those setbacks. As they say, time in the market is a better strategy than timing the market. So stay invested. Then number four, max out your contributions. If you can, you know, if, if you've got a retirement plan at work, contribute enough to get the maximum match offered by your employer if they offer it. You can contribute up to $26,000 if you're 50 or over. You can balance that with contributions to a Roth IRA with diversified investments. You can contribute up to $7,000 annually here if you're 50 or older. Then number five, plan for emergencies. Protect your retirement stash with an emergency fund to cover unexpected expenses. I mean, you can build it by depositing raises or bonuses that you might receive. Also think about insurance, including disability. You know, a study published in the American Journal of Public Health in just 2019 found that 66.5% of bankruptcies in the U.S. were due to health issues. You can't afford to be uninsured should you encounter some challenges with your health. And face it, the older we get, the more likely that's to happen. Number six, look for found money or a side gig. You know, most people following this approach will need more cash to pull this late retirement plan off, as most people simply just, they don't make enough to save enough for traditional retirement planning to work out to anything better than a 25 to 35% reduction in lifestyle during retirement years. So find a part-time job that you'll enjoy and or sell possessions that you no longer need. Your new part-time salary and, and proceeds from your sales should go straight into your investments. Now you might also consider selling your home and moving to a smaller place or to an area with cheaper housing costs. Downsizing or relocating can translate to considerable savings that you can stash for the future. Then number seven, work as long as you can. Nobody likes this recommendation, by the way, but gone are the days when the average person retires at 60 or 62 anyway. Many are working well past 65. So the longer you work, the longer you can put off tapping into your social security benefits. Now, for example, a 65-year-old today having earned an average of $75,000 a year over their lifetime, would receive approximately $1,800 a month if they started to claim their benefits at 65. If they waited just five more years until they're 70, they'd receive $2,800 a month. That's an additional $1,000 a month from their Social Security benefits. $1,000 a month, that can be a difference maker. So that's the traditional approach. Save, sacrifice, work, and pray. This advice paints a pretty bleak picture for most people for the next 15 to 20 years. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, there's an alternative approach. It won't necessarily be easier, but it won't take nearly as long. Now, if you're not too excited by the previous plan, it's okay. I understand. The traditional approach is flawed anyway, as it fails 95% of the population that follows it. It's flawed. The traditional plan is focused on the amount of money that one needs to save by retirement age, with the idea there will be enough money there to produce a residual income to support a comfortable retirement. So it's like this. You know, most people, they'll go out at option one 
They're going out to build this mountain of money. They're working, 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 they're saving, 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 they're sacrificing so they get this pile of money. And hopefully they get this mountain of money high enough to eventually, when it's ready to retire, it spits off a stream of money that allows them to retire. So this alternative approach, we're just going to take this and flip it. We're going to focus on the stream first. And then once our stream is supporting us, we'll then let the excess support the mountain. Now it doesn't look that different, does it? Just a little switch in how, in our sequence there. But what most people don't realize is this up here is the traditional approach. It's a 40 year plan. If people make it at all for the Department of Health and Human Services, 95% of the people that follow this are failing. Now with this approach, this is a four year plan. And like I said, it's not necessarily easier, but moves a lot faster when you focus on the streams of income instead of the mountain of income. And if this would make sense to focus on the streams first, that's the ultimate goal anyway, doesn't it? So the greatest probability for the average person to achieve this is by investing in income producing real estate. Like I said, it's not easy, but neither is saving a ton of money for 40 years. Considering you're 50 years old, your only choice is to build your income stream. You must learn how to invest in real estate. Listen, like I said, they're both hard work. That's not the question here. The question is, how long do you want to work hard? So here are two simple, inexpensive ways to get started. First way, if you already own your own home, move out and turn it into a rental. Downsize your living quarters and rent your primary residence. Might be a smaller house, a townhouse, a condo, or even an apartment. Go as cheap as you can and still be comfortable. Don't worry, this is not a life sentence. You're not gonna be there long anyway. Here's what happens with this very small and simple move. When your tenant moves in and starts paying you rent, you take that rent and make the mortgage payment on the house. And then you keep what's left over to apply to your new home that you're renting. I mean, immediately you've eliminated your monthly mortgage payment. You no longer have to worry about paying it down because indirectly your tenant is doing it for you. And since you downsized where you live, you've also reduced your own monthly housing expense. And the cash flow that you're receiving from your tenant is offsetting that housing expense even further. And then in a couple of years, you refinance some equity out and purchase another income property. And another year or so, repeat the process. In just five to seven casual years of doing just this, your retirement income stream has been created. And working into your 70s will no longer be a requirement. Now, the second way, if you don't own a house, use your FHA loan offered to every American by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. They've been helping people become homeowners since 1934 by providing low down payments, low closing costs, and easy credit qualify. Your down payment can be as low as 3.5% of the purchase price on properties of one to four units. So take advantage of this opportunity to purchase a single family home and rent a room or two out. If you don't like that idea? Buy a duplex. Live in one unit and rent out the other. Or pick up a fourplex, live in one, and rent out the other three. Now, you are required to live in the property when using your FHA loan, but not forever. After a year or so, move out and refer to the first plan that I suggested. You see, with very little effort and expense, and just by shifting your focus to the stream of money that you can create, rather than the mountain of money that you'd have to save 10 years or less, is a very conservative estimation of exiting the rat race and retiring. And if you're open to a little more work in order to go faster, that's exactly what we do here at Epic. So I've put together a free training for people just like you, and you can access it at mattsfreetraining.com. 
Now, if you've got a little bit of experience under your belt and you like the idea of maybe working directly with me one-on-one -on -one over the next year to go even faster to help you build your passive income retirement portfolio, go to reiace.com. Or if you just like it all done for you, meaning you want someone else to go find the property, you want someone else to fix it up, you want someone else to put the tenant in there, maybe you even want someone to go ahead and you know coordinate the property management and even bringing in the funding, go to cashflowsavvy.com. Please stand by. We've got overhead to pay. We'll be right back. Remember that person that gave up on their real estate investing dreams? Neither do I. Let's keep going. Back to the show. How to get stinking rich during a recession. I know it's a weird concept to consider for most people, you know, as they're either nervous about the immediate future or they're downright scared and they're not just absolutely freezing. And that's a losing strategy right now because we're also experiencing record inflation. You know, just the basics of paying for food, energy, and gasoline are already a struggle for so many. And what they don't get is that money, it doesn't disappear during times like this. It just simply moves. And the question to ask is, how can you get yourself to where it is moving? And I'll answer that for you in just a minute. But understand, we had a big problem right here before we were dealing with a recession and inflation. You know, right here, this is a pie chart of today's 65-year-olds from the Department of Health and Human Services. And it shows that at the age of 65, 54% are financially dependent, 36% are still working, 5% are deceased, and 4% are financially free, of which the government categorizes you as this, being financially free, if you're earning $40,000 a year from your investment. Not really free in probably 95% of the country. And this is the reality for 99% of the population because they follow the financial plan of work, sacrifice, and save. And if you're following that plan, you can expect the same result. But 1% does hit wealthy status, defined by the government as having a net worth of $5 million or more. And what 74% of them have in common is they either made or preserve their money in real estate. And more on that in just a minute too. But real estate, it is the vehicle that enables them to operate in a different way than the masses. Here, look at this. While the 99% work hard to save a mountain of money with the goal of it reaching a height at some point to produce a stream of money to support them in retirement. The 1%, they flip the equation and focus on the goal first, creating the stream, and then they let the stream create their mountain. So the sequence here, it matters, as the above example is a 40-year plan, if it pans out at all, because the truth is, most people simply don't make enough to save enough for this plan to work. Now, the plan below, with the proper focus, guidance, and support, can be a four-year plan or less. You know, income-producing real estate is the vehicle that enables the average person to pull this off so quickly. Now, this is not get rich quick and easy. Let me clarify. Both of these approaches are hard work. But the question here to ask yourself is, how long do you want to work hard? Let's set this aside for a second, though, and just look at real estate itself. The Federal Reserve just released this information about homeowners. An owner of a single piece of real estate is 40 times wealthier than a person that doesn't own any. Per the stats, if you don't incorporate real estate somewhere into your financial plan, you're not gonna make it. But what if you owned two properties or three or four? If you were able to acquire just five properties over the next five years, you'd be 2,000 times wealthier than the person that ignored this information and never purchased any. 
All right, so let's focus on the two big elephants in the room. Elephant number one, recession. How will that impact the real estate market? Most people will be very surprised to learn that historically speaking, it doesn't impact it much at all. Of the last four recessions, real estate was negatively impacted in just one of those. Recessions and housing, they don't correlate. Recession does not equate to falling real estate prices. Most of the time it's relatively flat or it appreciates even. And let's look at elephant number two, inflation. How does it impact the real estate market? Again, another surprise for many. Most of the time, the two are neck and neck, but housing has been significantly outpacing inflation for the last 10 years or so. Even when housing hit its most recent lows in 2013, it never dipped below the inflation rate. But right now, the two are happening at the same time. And we've got concerns about war and we're watching the stock market get pummeled. I mean, how low could that go? And many are wondering, will the real estate market follow? What could all of this mean for real estate? I mean, should you wait or is it a good time to get started right now? Well, your decision will begin and end with looking at the big picture of supply and demand. You know, regardless of the product or service, when supply goes up, prices come down. And when demand goes up, prices go up and vice versa. So let's start with looking at real estate supply. You know, a healthy market has six months of inventory. And currently, we have less than two months in most markets. Here, look at this. Each of these lines represent housing inventory levels throughout the year. So the top three lines, they show somewhat normal markets in 2017 through 2019. The middle line, declining, shows the falling inventory levels of 2020 amid the pandemic. And then the bottom two, 2021 and 2022, of where just a few months ago, we were at an all-time low. And as the economy struggles to recover from the pandemic, the seasonal inventory pattern is now resuming, but it's still very low. And is this necessarily a pandemic-induced problem like so many think? Here, this article from Forbes points to something else. The housing shortage is worse than ever and will take a decade of record construction to fix. You see, the U.S. was on a record pace in their building, but everything stopped when the market crashed in 2007. Had building continued at the same pace, there would be 5.5 million more units of housing available right now. So to make up for the shortage that we're now experiencing, we'd have to build 2.1 million homes each year for a whole decade, more than it built each year during the housing boom of the mid 2000s. And that's not gonna happen because of this. You see, housing starts in the US sank 14.4% month over month in May of 2022 the most since April of 2020, and then sank another 1% in June due to the housing market facing so much pressure from rising inflation and mortgage rates. And then there's the elevated building material costs and labor and supply constraints weighing on consumers' affordability. They're not gonna be building any more homes until they can turn a profit from doing so. So the supply shortage, it is what it is for the foreseeable future. And that is not a precondition for a crash or even a correction. You can't have a housing bubble when you're short on housing. Now, let's look at the other side of the seesaw, the demand. You know, simply put, we're talking about people. Sure, the population growth rate is falling. That's factual. But what's actual is the population is growing. But what's significant about this that you're not hearing in the media is the age demographic of the population. You see, the peak age at the moment is among the millennials at age 32 right here. And the age of the average first-time homebuyer is 34 right here, which translates to over the next 24 months is that we're going to see more demand for housing 
than ever before in the history of the country. And then for decades after that, we have the biggest portion of the population that will need shelter too, Gen Z. But can they afford it? That's the big variable here as mortgage rates are on the rise. Affordability is the big concern. I mean, prices can't go up forever is what they say, right? I mean, sure, the first time home buyer and most of the middle class, they're getting squeezed out of the market, but is the market suffering because of it? The percentage of disposable income in relation to a household's mortgage cost, it's at an all time low, of which means there are enough people that have got enough money to keep it going for a while. In fact, so far, there have been enough people in the market that have said, screw the interest rates. We'll just pay cash as cash sales are up 1% since this time last year. And people, they're not stopping at just one property. Second home purchases are at an all-time high. Now, sales activity, that may be sliding. That's factual. But the median home price continues to rise. That's actual. You see, in June, home sales fell 5% from May as prices set yet another record, an increase of 13.4% year over year. And by all expert accounts, prices will continue to appreciate, albeit at a slower rate, but still appreciate. You see this blue area where it appears at first glance that prices are predicted to retract? This is not the prices coming down. No, it's the rate of price growth that's slowing, but it's still growing. And with that, should you wait to get started? Now, I know at this point, it's becoming more and more obvious as to what you should do. But before you answer that, let's take a deeper look at this. Inflation. You know, Jerome Powell made a major announcement back in August of 2020. But most of us underestimated the importance of this announcement, if we heard it at all. You know, as we were all consumed with a pandemic, social injustice, and the most decisive election that we've ever experienced in our lifetime. I mean... Who has the time to think about Powell's inflation announcement when he said the central bank will be more inclined to allow inflation to run higher than the standard 2% target before hiking interest rates? And here we are, mid-2022, at 9.1%. I mean, I think that's like almost double, right? And, and here's what that means in layman's terms. You see, if you had $100 in your bank account a year ago, it would have purchased $100 of goods and services. So fast forward a year later to today. According to the Consumer Price Index, that $100 will only purchase $90.90 of goods and services. You lost 9.1% of your purchasing power. But did you really lose just 9.1%? Is the Fed giving it to you straight? You see, most people don't know this, that food and energy prices are exempt from this calculation. So is the CPI a good index to use if it excludes the stuff that we actually buy in order to survive and function in society? I mean, if you look at a simple everyday item that people consume, like the Subway Sandwich Index, it's not a real index, something I made up, but there's no such thing as the $5 footlong anymore. In October of 2021, the footlong sub was $7.29, a 45% increase. And just a few months later, January of 2022, $8.99, a 79% increase. So is 79% a bigger or a smaller number than 9.1% that the CPI says. You can no longer buy the entire footlong for $5, more like just 21% of it. Here, look at the Dollar Tree store. Nothing there for a dollar anymore. Or let's look at another 
index, the gas index. Your $100 a year ago purchased $100 of gas. Today, just $50 of gas. So is inflation 9.1% or closer to 50% when it comes to the things that we spend our money on every day? And in September of 2020, one of the richest men in the world warned us about this in an article at marketwatch.com. Ray Dalio said that the world is going to change in shocking ways in the next five years. And here we are just two years into it, and we are certainly experiencing shocking change. And he summed up the article with this. He said, worry as much about the value of your dollar as you worry about the value of your investments, which really means you know, if your investments aren't producing at least a 9% return, you're getting poorer every day. Inflation, it's a hidden tax that's stealing the value of your money. But there's a bright side to this. Inflation is an equal opportunity value destroyer as it also destroys the value of your debt. And so here's how this helps you as a real estate investor. Let's say that you borrowed $100,000 at 3% in 2021. Your monthly payment for the next 30 years is $421.60. On day one, you collect $1,000 of rent and you collect that every month. And from that, you pay the mortgage payment. Now, assuming the national rent increase of 3.1% due to inflation, in five years, you're collecting $1,164 per month, but your mortgage payment stays the same. Five years in the future, you're gonna be paying today's debt with those inflated dollars of the future. You receive more dollars due to inflation but the lender does not. The lender, they're stuck in the past. You see, just as inflation destroys the purchasing power of your dollar, it destroys the value of fixed rate debt too. You see that same loan five years from now might be at 6%, but you have it for the term of the loan at 3%. And that debt now becomes as much of an asset as the property itself. So inflation causes rents to rise. That's a benefit to you. But what does a recession do to rents? Well, historically speaking, nothing. Nothing but up rents are going to go 15% over the last year, in fact. So if you have owned an income property for more than 12 months, here's what this inflationary environment looks like for you. You experience the benefit of rising rents that would normally take five years to experience. You got it in just one year. And with no real signs of inflation slowing down anytime soon, this accelerated result can reasonably be expected for years to come. So. If you don't own income property, you need to get some. The longer you wait, the further you're going to fall behind. Income producing real estate, it puts you on the right side of inflation. But is it just real estate? Is that our only option? I mean, what about gold? Isn't that a hedge against inflation too? Yes. So we thought there is some time honored wisdom that gold is a hedge against inflation. But why has gold dropped in value? Why is it no longer keeping up with inflation while real estate outpaces it? Again, while we were consumed with news about the pandemic, social injustice, and a crazy election, the media skipped right over this. Since 2005, JP Morgan had been manipulating the price of gold, and they got caught in 2020 and paid the largest commodity futures trading commission penalty ever. You see, gold, it's subject to manipulation. Housing is not. We've got more people than we've got houses, and the market is run on private individual transactions as opposed to institutional ones like gold. Real estate, it's all that there is. It's the average person's only option to survive in an economy like this, let alone thrive. Here's another dynamic that we're seeing that 
we don't see too often that suggests that this is a very opportune time to get started investing in real estate. And that's when the CPI is greater than the mortgage rates. So despite the recent rise in rates, they're still less than the CPI. And here's what that means to you. In 2005, here are the numbers. And because of how inflation destroys debt, the net interest rate for borrowing money was 1.7%. Not a bad interest rate, right? In 2022, the net interest rate for borrowing money is negative 3.3%. That's a little bit better. The economy is paying us 3.3% to borrow money, but it gets better. If we were to refer to our subway and gas index, the real net rate to borrow money is negative 44.2%. And we're wondering if this is a good time to get started. Inflation, it favors those that use other people's money to buy inflation-hedged, income-producing assets. Inflation destroys those that don't. Here, look at this. Here's the terrible deal being dealt to the average person right now. The CPI sits at 9.1%. If you're just an employee, you know, you received a 5.1% increase in your wages, something you'll certainly hear the current administration brag about around election time. But due to inflation, it actually results in a 4% loss in wages, something that they won't be sharing with you. If you were invested in the Dow Jones, you're down 7% in the last 12 months. But because of inflation, you're actually down 16.1%. Even worse, if you were invested in the NASDAQ, you're down 30.1%. If you thought you were safe investing in gold, you're down 15.1%. Everybody has gotten and is getting absolutely screwed, except those that invested in and are investing in real estate. They're up 7.8%. And if it was rental real estate that they invested in, they're up an additional 5.9% from the rents, equating to a combined inflation-adjusted return 13.7%. And I'm not even calculating amortization, the depreciation, and the tax deduction. So this is not the time to put your head in the sand and pray that this all goes away soon. Nor is this the time to isolate yourself and play defense. This is not the time to be saving money either. I mean, build up your reserve account, be responsible six months to a year of your household expenses, but saving beyond that results in a negative 8% return on your money. As the major savings accounts available to most of us, to all of us, they're all paying less than 1%. Look, right there on the far right, Capital One, they're bragging about their 0.4% return. Not 4%, 0.4%. By saving money, your wealth is getting crushed by 8% per year. You're losing money by saving it, which feels very counterintuitive to even say, but that's what's so. All right, so here, here's the action plan to win right now. Number one, activate offensive mode. Defense is a losing strategy right now. Two, invest in yourself. Make yourself better. Boost your earning skills. Number three, Focus on income. You can't save your way to wealth and nobody was ever set free by being debt-free alone. Number four, use OPM, other people's money, to invest into inflation-hedged income-producing assets. And this may be unfortunate or fortunate for you, but real estate is the only asset for the average person that checks all the boxes. Now, I've been able to help countless people do this over the last 10 years or so, and I'm going to help countless more over the next decade. The opportunity is just too rich for me to not help those that want to be helped. And if you're having doubts about whether or not you can pull this off, I'm going to focus on just one person that I've been fortunate enough to work with over the last 
couple of years, Wayne Stoltzfus. You see, Wayne is from the Amish community where technology isn't allowed. No cars, electronics, no powered machines. I mean, everything is done the old fashioned way in the Amish community, you know, hand tools, horses, and buggies. And, and carrying debt, that's a big no-no. Wayne though, he's a, he's a bit of a rebel in his community. And he decided that he wanted more out of life and he wanted to become a real estate investor to get it. And when he came to me, he took a three-day, $3,500 train ride across the country. And when he showed up to my office, he was carrying a box under his arm. And in the box was a computer, of which he had never used one before. So that's how it started with Wayne. And here's how it was going after just a few months of us working together. I got my first deal done today, $26,000 wholesale deal, and I've got two others under contract. Thank you for being patient with me. The future is looking really bright. Now, I rarely hear from Wayne anymore because he doesn't need my help anymore. That's the goal, to make him independent. I mean, the last time I heard from him, he was receiving enough passive income from his rentals that he no longer needs to work. And this all happened in less than 24 months for him. What 99% of the population is unable to do in 40 years of toiling away at their job. Anyone can do this. It's just that most people won't do it. And there lies your opportunity. So the original question that I asked, is this a good time to get started in real estate? Well, if you are paying attention, I'm gonna answer the question with a question. Can you afford not to? And that leaves us with really just one final question. Do you wanna go slow or do you wanna go fast? I mean, you can take your time and piece everything together and you know, kind of work by trial and error and go slow. Nothing wrong with that. It's exactly how I did it. Or you can plug into a proven system with resources and support and go fast. I mean, if I had to do it all over again, I'd choose fast, but this is your decision. So what will it be, slow or fast? If you wanna go fast with Epic, reach out and follow in the footsteps of the thousands that made the same decision. And that wraps up the Epic Show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would. And when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here and I'll take great care of them. God loves you and so do I. Health, peace, blessings, and success to you. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.